Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, it is official, uh, in case you didn't know this, um, last Monday marked the first day of summer. It is actually here, and the weather is starting to show it for a change, which is really, really nice. Um, School's out. And graduations are all over with, and people are taking their vacations, and, and I can all, always tell when it's summer because people start showing up to church in their shorts, okay? And that's how I know it's officially summer. And, and a lot of people have commented, I am actually wearing my shirt untucked. I want you to, to know, I never, it's really uncomfortable for me, but I'm, I'm stepping out there. Um, we are, uh, this summer, especially as summer begins, talking about this whole idea of, of renewal, that... Um, because summer's kind of a time of year that you kind of step back a little bit out of the routine. Uh, you take a break. You kind of you have a little bit more downtime. And it's a good time to, to rest and kind of catch up. But it's also a great time to just reevaluate your life. And, and I don't know about if you do this or not, but when I go on vacation, sometimes I just kind of chance to clear my head and just think about, you know, where I'm going, what I'm doing, what I want to do, what I'm planning, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so we thought as we begin the summer, um, this would be a great time to just talk about this whole idea of renewal, how God revitalizes us and he, and he replenishes us from the inside out. And it happens when we take our focus off of ourself and our routine and start putting it on, her, on Him. And that's that whole idea of worship, that, that all this inner renewal comes, not just by taking some time off, but a, but a real renewal and a replenishment and re- revitalization happens when I take my focus off of myself and my routine, and I start putting it towards God. And that's what we call worship. So that's what this whole series is about, is the difference worship makes in your life. Last week, we talked about the need for rest, that every one of us need to to, to just slow down the pace of our life, to cut back the hurry, um, to to just take some time and let go of the controls and, and surrender and put our trust into His hands. And we looked at Psalm 23, how he's our shepherd, how he cares for us, how he is, he's in better control of our lives than we are. And rest is a really big part of that. Today, we're going to look at another aspect of it, calling it recalibrate. And it has to do with, with resetting how you are measuring your life. Um, because that's what calibrating really has to do with. And, and it, it has to do with standards of measurement. How do, you, how do you measure your life? How do you measure all kinds of things? Because we do it all the time. We are, we are constantly on a daily basis um, wanting the measurements that we come across in life to be accurate. For instance, uh, when you're paying more than $3 a gallon for gas, you want to make sure that the gas pump is calibrated, that you're actually getting a gallon of gas for the over $3 that you're paying for it, right? You want to make sure, because if it's not and you're getting less, you're paying more for less. It, it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work for you. Um, another one, when you step on the bathroom scale, you want to make sure that it's calibrated because you don't want to be over and you don't want to fool yourself by being too far under, okay? You want it to be calibrated. Um, when you check out, when you go to the grocery store and they do the scanner, you want to make sure that that scanner is calibrated to read the barcode the right way so you get charged the right amount. When you are driving down the street and you see that black and white car and you got this big old fancy gun pointed right at you, you really want to make sure that that radar gun is calibrated correctly, because you don't want a ticket if you're, not, if you're not driving over the limit. So we rely on accurate measurements all the time, on a daily basis in our lives. When it comes to our everyday living and the way we do life, 
it's really easy for things to get spinning out of control. It's really easy for things to get out of balance, to get worn down. And there's this need for us on a regular basis to recalibrate our lives. And when we gather together like this on a Sunday morning and we spend time in worship, what it does is it, it helps us recalibrate our life. It helps us recognize the things that are important and what, what is not important. And, and that's why corporate worship is so important. That's why it's, 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 it's vital to make that a part of your life on a regular basis because your life gets, it gets out of control. It spins and the priorities get all out of whack and you need to come back and get recalibrated. And Brian read it earlier. I'm going to read it again this morning. Psalm 95, because this is a call to worship. This is David the psalmist calling the people of God to worship and why we're supposed to do it. Psalm 95, verse 1 says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is a great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture the flock under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Now, we worship not because God needs it, okay? We don't worship because God's got an ego problem and he likes to hear praises all the time to remind him of how great he is, okay? He knows how great he is. He doesn't need our worship. We need to express worship, And when we do this, when we gather together in genuine worship, one of the things that happens is when I worship God, it makes me think about what I value the most. Because that's what worship is. Everybody's a worshiper. Everybody's a worshiper. Whether they believe in God or not, everybody worships something. The word worship comes from the old English word worth sipe, which just simply means to ascribe worth to attribute worth, to put value on something. And so when we worship, that's what we're doing. See, worship has to do with the things that get my attention, the things that, that, that move my heart, um, the things that, that occupy my thoughts, the things that, I, that, that drive my life. If I could put it in one sentence, worship is simply where my heart goes. And everybody's heart goes somewhere because we're wired to worship. And everybody worships something. Now, kind of illustrate that this morning. I'm going to put a couple pictures up here on the slide. I want to ask you folks. Now, put the first one up here. What do these people worship? Any guesses? Yeah, next slide. There it is. They worship the iPhone. They stood in line. Thousands of people overnight camping out to be the first in line to get the new iPhone G4. Yeah, they worship that. Okay? Here's another one. Who do these people worship? Raiders, how would you know, you know? Yeah, that's what they worship. Here's another one. Now, this one, some of you older folks may not get. I think our students know this one. Who do these people worship? What? Twilight. Twilight, yeah. Some of you, you know that. If you don't, if you're older, okay, you don't know what that is, ask one of our students afterwards. They'll be sure to clue you in, okay? Everybody worships something. Because it's whatever you give your attention to, whatever you give whatever you give your time to, whatever, whatever drives you, whatever moves your heart, that's what you worship. 
And the problem is that we worship the wrong things. And so what David is doing in this psalm is he's calling us actually to do what we're already doing just to refocus it. Because it's something we already do. It's how we are wired. Look at the first line. He says, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Now, this is not something that we don't already do. We do this all the time. When your team, Team USA, scores the winning goal in the 91st minute into extra time, okay? Nobody has to tell everybody, okay, now stand up, raise your hands, shout a little bit, you know, wave around. Nobody has to tell you to do that. You just instinctively do that if you are a fan of the USA soccer team, which is all over with for them now anyway. But if your team hits the, if a player on your team hits the walk-off home run, you just, people stand up and shout and they cheer and they scream. Winning touchdown, same thing. You go to a rock concert, nobody has to tell you to stand up and wave and all that stuff. You do it because it's how we're wired. It's how God created us to give our affection to something And what David is saying is, look at what you're already doing. What is it you're already worshiping? Now, shift the focus. It says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. He's not calling us to do something that we do not already do. What he's doing is he's calling us to recognize, what is it that you're giving your life to? What is it that, that occupies all of your thoughts? What is it that drives you? What, what's always moving your heart? What is that thing? Now, move it in a different direction. It's how we are wired. And all of this shouting and screaming and, and singing and, and clapping and all that stuff, that's just indicators, that's symptoms of the fact that we are looking for something to place our, our adoration on. It's how God made us. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He said, God has wired you up to worship. He has put something in you. There is a deep longing. It is the deepest longing of your soul. It is what you were created for. And the problem is we worship the wrong things. We give our attention, we give our focus, we give our our money, we give our our, our hearts to lesser gods. But there's a deeper desire. And that deepest desire is the thing that is driving us. And what David is saying is, recognize what drives your life. What what gets you excited? What, What moves you? Look at what that is. So that you can start to shift it to where it really belongs. A lot of people put those desires in a lot of other things. Some will put it in a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Some will put it in their careers. Some will put it into sports. They live and breathe soccer. They live and breathe baseball. They live and breathe football, whatever it is. And that's the thing that drives their life. They schedule their whole vacation time around spring training. (laughs) Because that's one of the things that drives their lives. And people will do it over a number of things. And what David is saying here is recognize you already worship. But take a look at it, what it is that you're worshiping. Worship makes me think about what I value most. And then as I begin to think about that, what worship does is I worship God is it helps me make what matters most matter most to me. It's not just recognizing that God matters most and God's the greatest and God's all but to make it personal, to make sure that what really matters most is the thing that matters most 
to me. It's shifting that, that sense of worth and value off of lesser gods. That's what David writes. He says, for the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. He's saying any other object of our worship will disappoint. Everything else that we might worship will leave us empty inside eventually. People, thousands and thousands of people stood in line overnight, got there early in the morning to be one of the first people to get the new iPhone. In three or four months, it's not going to matter a bit because everybody's going to have one. <laughs> okay? Yeah, I got to get Xbox 360 because that's the latest thing. Then I, and my old PlayStation 3, that's worthless now. You know, that, that's junk. I need the newest thing. There is something that is always having to get our attention. And we've got, we've got, we've got a whole industry that makes its living trying to get our attention and telling us this will give your life meaning. This will make it fulfilling. And whether it's a new iPhone or an Xbox 360, for some people, some people are consumed with when I and who I will marry. They just think, if I get married, then I will live happily ever after. That will be the end of all of my desires. I, once I get married, that will be it. I will be fulfilled. Only to find out that they are disappointed. <laughs> And you Raider fans, you know what that's like. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know you're worshiping and you've been disappointed for years, okay? Nope, I, okay. I'm sorry. But you get the idea, okay? There are things that we pour our lives into that, that just in a matter of months or, or weeks will leave us let down. And, and what David is saying is, don't give your heart to stuff that's going to let you down. Bring it back. Don't give it to these lesser gods, these things that you, that you worship, that you got to have, that you think is going to fulfill you, only to leave you empty and wanting more. He says, In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. He's saying, don't worship the creation. The creation was made by a creator. Now, back in David's day, they didn't have all these material things and all these wonderful gadgets that we have now. They just made their idols out of stone and sticks. But their idols back then were no less valuable than the idols that we have today. And the things that we think are so much more worth our attention and our drive and our love and our affection are really just sticks and stones in a fancier package with more buzzes and lights and ringtones. He <laughs> says, really, it's stuff that's going to eventually let you down. He says, look at what, what really is worthy he says, if you could only glimpse, if you could only see how great and good God is. In fact, he goes on. He says, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. This great God, this creator of all universes, the sustainer of all things, cares about you. You can give your affection to him, and he will love you back. There's a relationship here. Only God... 
Only God can fill that place. That is the deepest longing of your heart. Only he can do that. And if you could just get a glimpse of who he is, if you could really see him for who he is, if you could really understand how much he cares for you, he says, then, then you would get a better understanding of why you should worship him. There's a, a program, it's on, uh, I think it's on the History Channel, Learning Channel, it's one of those Discovery Channel kind of things. Um, and the title of it sounds a lot worse than it really is. The title of the program is called Pawn Stars, not Porn Stars, Pawn Stars, okay? Anybody seen this program? Anybody? Okay, it's really, really interesting. I, it's one of those reality shows, okay? Um, and it's, it's the owners of a pawn shop in Las Vegas. And people come in with stuff all the time that's just like, you know, where do they get this stuff sometimes? You look at it. And, and they bring stuff in and they want to pawn it because I guess they need more gambling money. I don't know. But they come into this pawn shop and a lot of stuff, they, it's like nobody knows what this stuff is or what it's worth. And a recent episode, a guy came in, he brought this little coin and it had kind of a commemorative George Washington thing on it. Um, but it wasn't made out of a pressure. It wasn't gold. It wasn't silver. Um, it actually had a hole drilled in the top of it. And uh, he brought it and he said he wanted to pawn it. He said, well, you know, what is it? He says, well, I don't know. He says, I'm a, I was a coin collector when I was a kid. I've had this in my collection, you know, for like 34 years. It's been sitting in a box up in my attic. Um, I have no idea what it is. I have no idea what it's worth. It's been sitting up there for the longest time. I just thought maybe I'd get a couple hundred bucks for it. And, and he looks at it and he says, well, you know, he says, it doesn't look, you know, it's in pretty good shape, but it doesn't look all that old. And it's, you know, it's just kind of, it's stamped out of aluminum, which, you know, that's, and you got, and it's got this hole. Did you drill this hole in this thing? He says, no, no, it was that way when I got it. He says, well, I don't know. He says, you know, I don't know what it's worth. He said, but I've got a guy who's a, you know, a historical um, artifact dealer. Um, and maybe I'll bring him in and see what this thing is worth. So they did. So the guy comes in and he gets out his little jeweler's loop, you know, a little eyepiece, and he's looking at it and he's, sh- you know, turning it this way and that, and he's looking at all the ridges and everything. And, and, he, and he, says, um, he says, actually, he said, um, he said, this is a commemorative medal. Um, it was stamped probably in the early, late 1700s, early 1800s, when George Washington died. George Washington was such a figure in this country that when he died, the father of our country, the whole nation was in mourning. And, and in fact, the whole world recognized this great man. And so when he died, they stamped these things out in different, you know, some in gold, some in silver, some in aluminum. But aluminum was a very, very precious metal back then. And, and this hole that's drilled in it, that actually gives it value because what it was was it was a metal to be worn. People wore these around their neck. So they would put it around through a chain or, or a ribbon and somehow wear it around their neck. And that, that gives it that stamp of authenticity. Wow, really? Well, what is it worth? He said, well, you know, at auction, things like this have gone for up to like $250,000. <laughs> yeah, the guy's eyes just lit up. He says, well, this one's not worth that much, you know. But it's worth at least four or 5000 and his just eyes lit up, and he realized this thing that he had, it was in his possession. It had been sitting in a box in his attic for 34 years. He had even forgotten that he had it. He just came across it. He had, it was something of great value, but he didn't know that. It was just sitting off in a box somewhere. Now that he knows its value, changes everything. See, there's a lot of people who believe in God. Poll after poll in our country says, majority of people in the United States believe in God, but it has no impact on their life because they don't know the value of who he is. And what worship does is it brings us back to recognize the true worth and value of our God. Instead of a God 
who's this little stamped out coin sitting in, my, in a box in my attic for 34 years. And I begin to examine him and, and, and see who he is and, and see how the light reflects off him and, and, and all of these aspects that, that bring, make him so worthy of my praise. When I begin to do that, when I begin to get a glimpse of that, then it changes the way that I look at him, changes the way that I interact with him. And that's why worship becomes so important because when we gather together and we do this on a Sunday morning and we sing songs and we pray and we do all of those things, what we are doing together as a body is we are reminding one another how great is our God. When we sing of his mercies and his grace, we are reminding of his love and his care as a shepherd to a sheep. When we pray and we put our burdens on him, we ask him, the Lord, take this from me because I can't handle this. This is beyond me. We are realizing that there is a one who is greater than ourselves who has all of our life in his hands and we can trust him. When we share in communion as an aspect of worship, it is a reminder of his love expressed to us by his death on a cross, how much he loves and cares for us that he would give his one and only son. And that's why worship becomes so important. That's why it needs to be a regular recalibrating of our lives because life gets spinning out of control and we start putting value on things that don't really have value. And we need the reminder of what really matters, what really is important. And not only that it's really important, not really that that it's really what matters most, but that it begins to matter most to me. And that's what worship does. And every time we worship, what happens is bit by bit, I start changing the direction of my heart. I start reminding myself of what really matters. And bit by bit, regularly, little by little, my values change. And my heart goes in a better direction. And my life becomes changed because of it. Every time you worship, you are in the process of redirecting your heart. And when you do that, then ultimately what happens is worship then calls me now to rearrange my whole life around what matters most. See, as I begin to worship, I begin to call into question, what is it that I'm really worshiping? Where is it that I'm giving my life? What am I giving my life to? And then as I begin to realize what really matters most and that I'm, I'm serving all these lesser gods and I bring my focus back on him, now there's a response. Now there's something that has to happen because of that. Because now that I've realized what matters most, then my next task is, not only to make matters, what matters most matter most to me, but now start rearranging my life around the fact that that is true. That I start living a different life. Tim Keller defines worship this way. Worship is an act of assigning ultimate value to God in such a way that it engages your whole being and transforms your life. And if it's not transforming your life, it's not really worship. Because you can come and sing songs and get excited. You can clap and raise your hands and have an emotional experience. You can be moved to tears and and, and be deeply touched in your heart and emotionally challenged by all of that. And that's a good thing. But that in itself is not worship. And people who come to a worship service saying, move me, you know, get me excited, make me cry, whatever it is, and walk away disappointed because I didn't cry or I didn't get excited and saying, boy, that was terrible worship. You have missed the point. Because you can get all moved emotionally, but if there's no transformation of the heart, it's not worship. 
Because worship engages my heart, it engages my mind, but it engages my whole life. And if it doesn't impact my life, it's not worship. And that's why David goes on, he says, so today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. How does a heart get hardened? A heart gets hardened by looking for an emotional experience without any life change. And you just go from experience to experience to experience. It goes to being challenged with my head, in my head, being challenged about the way that I live, but not making a real life change. And so I think that I am saying yes to God, but all I'm doing is having an emotional experience or agreeing intellectually. And it's not changing my life, and it's not worship. See, we need to shout aloud and sing for joy, but we also need to kneel and bow down. Because kneeling and bow down, bowing down, bow down, bowing down, that's surrender. That's giving up. That's allowing God to change my life. And he goes on, and, and a little bit further in the psalm, as it wraps up, he refers to this, this don't harden your hearts like, the, like your fathers did at Meribah and Massah. You go, what? Where did that come from? Okay. It refers back to it centuries before this to when the nation of Israel first came out of their captivity. And God led them out of Egypt and across, safely across the dry land through the Red Sea. And they got on the other side. It's recorded in, in um, Exodus 15. And they, the, whole, the whole congregation, everybody, the whole nation sang this song. Let me just read you parts of it. It says, Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Verse 11. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people that you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them into your holy dwelling. Verse 17. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. It's an incredible song. It's a long song. It's just a song of praise and adoration for God's protection and God's provision and all that he did. And, and, and it's, just, it's an incredible song because God had done an incredible thing. And the whole nation sang this song together. Just an incredible worship experience. And then three days later, they moved on to a place called Meribah. And they ran out of water. Just three days later. After God performed this miraculous work, saved them from the, the Egyptians, you know, just parted the Red Sea, got them across safely, provided food for them all along the way. And three days later, they get to the place where they've run out of water and they start grumbling and complaining. If only we'd stayed back in Egypt. Oh, we had plenty of water to eat there. We had plenty of food to eat there. Oh, this, you know, and on and on and grumbling, grumbling and complaining and, and all of this stuff. Just three days later. Because though they had this wonderful worship experience, it didn't get down into their heart. They sang about God's provision and God's protection. Oh, they mouthed the words greatly and beautifully. It was a wonderful song about God's great care and provision. And three days later, they're complaining because he's not doing what they want him to do. See, that's how a heart gets hard. When my worship is from my voice 
and, and even maybe from my heart emotionally, but it doesn't get down into my life. And worship should always bring about a response. A response, not just of my heart, not just of my mind, but of my life. Because worship is not just singing. Worship is not just Sunday morning. Worship is a lifestyle. It's a way of life. And that's why Paul wrote to the Roman church, offer your lives as a living sacrifice to him, only for God and pleasing to him, which is the spiritual way for you to worship, that you worship with your life. And what that means is then when we gather together on a Sunday morning, we are already worshiping. You have been worshiping God throughout the week. He has become an integral part of your life so that when we gather together, we remind each other of God's goodness and we sing together of his praises and his love and his grace and his mercy to us. And we do all of that together, but it's not like we show up to a performance and say, okay, prompt me so I can do this. We come already worshiping so that we can lift our voices together. And I dare say, if we did that, If we did that, we would come to our worship gatherings with a whole different attitude. And instead of rubbing the sleep out of our eyes or just trying to get in the door, you know, and, and, you know, get awake and alert and listening to what's going on, we would come already prepared, already worshiping. So we would celebrate together. I dare say it would change not only the attitude that we come with, but the way that we come. I dare say it would even change the time that we get here. Because instead of giving God leftovers of my weekend, my whole life is around his presence with me. And I can't wait to get together with God's people and celebrate that and sing and shout and clap and pray and reflect. Because that's what it comes down to. It's all about my life. And that's what Paul meant when he said, in him, in him we live and move and have our being. He's talking about a life that is a life of worship. And today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.